Okay, that was 5 o'clock World by the Vogues, and um, this is podcast 207 entitled 5 o'clock World. And the song is profound. It's a profound pop classic in which the singer is uh, saying that the world he lives in from 9 to 5 in which he's trying to make a living is as nothing compared to the five o'clock world or the post nine to five world where the long haired girl waits for him to ease his troubled mind. He's basically saying what the world never understands until it's too late, that the reality of life is lived after the busyness of the law and of the demand and the stress and what Richard Rohr calls the false self or what um, we might call the unjustified, um, deeply concupiscent person to use traditional theology of the 39 articles, but that all that we think is true and right and important and demanding and obligatory, the nine to five world means nothing at all. That's a quote from the song, in light of the long-haired girl who waits for him to ease his troubled mind. Now, the um, great learning of human existence is that the song is an accurate portrayal of what really counts in life. And if you think that your uh, job or your career or your professional aspirations, unless by some chance they come out of an inner spirit-led place of absolutely spontaneous and extemporaneous desire and hope and joy and delight, if you think that they come from any other self-conscious or conscientious aim or responsible notion of who you are and who you should be, then uh, experience catches you and you absolutely uh, collapse in a place of utter uh, resentment and bitterness when you find out that the only world that really exists is the uh, is the five o'clock world. We'll talk about this at the end. Now, um, the podcast uh, concerns a kind of message that I'd like to give you. I have a message I want to give everyone listening to this. And the message is, I'll tell you what uh, the analogy was. I was trying to figure out how I could give you a message from your future in such a way that you would see it as a little bit funny or a little bit dumb and therefore not altogether too serious. But nevertheless, you might be willing to listen to what I have to say. And I thought of that John Carpenter movie, um, Prince of Darkness. I've tried to understand the ending of that movie for 20 years. I saw it with our children, and it's a very good movie, and I won't go into the plot. But what is happening at the very end of the movie when you hear a kind of crackly voice, which is obviously from the future, and you see a terribly uh, demonic and dreadful uh, personage emerge from the church uh, in which years earlier the action, which as far as you were concerned, the viewers was in the present, uh, the events of the movie take place. And what this is, why uh, I finally understood what the movie is, it's a kind of garbled transmission from the future in which the great and devilish uh, malignancy that is uh, hidden and protected by scientists, (laughs) Roman Catholic scientists, in the um, in the uh, crypt of the church is actually uh, comes to fruition and wins and it's a horrifying vision of a future message heard in the now and the movie takes its entire power from that closing image which in itself is somewhat enigmatic well the message I want to give you is that not only is it true that the only world that is actually real and existing and perduring is the five o'clock world, but actually that the uh, world and experience of romantic love is core to your um, final destination and understanding and uh, um, I want to say um, 
coming together of your entire life at the point of uh, old age, um, necessary retrospection, and finally meeting our maker and death and God and eternity. Now, I said this not long ago uh, at uh, Calvary St. George's in New York City, and someone was quite upset by it, uh, a person who uh, claimed to be, said that, uh, this person said that this person was a psychologist, psychologist and uh, absolutely wanted to um, portray the heart and core of human pain in early childhood, which I accept. I, I fully accept it. But uh, I also wanted to say to, my, to, to this person, well, you know, have you experienced actually romantic love? Or is your life a, a, a hymn to disappointment in that way? Which is simply to say that whether you're disappointed or you're fulfilled in romantic love, it is the uh, skid mark. It is the uh, the stone which the builder rejected, which has now become the cornerstone. We, we don't want to hear this. We, want to, we, we think that could possibly be a trivialization of religion. And I want to say two things. I want to say what actually is true about the most important insight of life as I see it now at age uh, almost 65, uh, with an awful lot of unfortunate deconstruction along the way. But I want to give a kind of casus belli, state of the war of human life as I see it, a situation report. And then I want to just tie it in to Christianity and the gospel, uh, because it's not at all um, uh, non-coterminous with it. Uh, or, uh, But it is, nonetheless, Fred sheds a light on the integration which Christianity seldom, uh, which it could, but seldom actually accomplishes in a person, and why people at the end of their life who've been Christians often sort of wonder about the integration of their experience with what they have believed very sincerely. Now, this message from the future, which I've um, analogized with uh, uh, Prince of Darkness, is uh, was first came to my um, overwhelming attention as a youngster in considering um, um, uh, um, Citizen Kane, which is the grandfather of all. Um, instances of this in which Charles Foster Kane uh, is absolutely governed by the loss, by a tremendous loss, which he plays out in a disturbed romantic life, the loss of his mother. So you could say, well, that's Oedipal, and it is. But nonetheless, his his life is governed and overshadowed and finally uh, compuncted by a uh, driving loss from his early childhood, of which he has no conscious understanding or uh, ability to detach and abstract himself and think about it, and therefore he is overtaken by it and is finally completely destroyed by it and made insane by it. This um, theme um, of the uh, power of the uh, of the loss or no, the power of the, the romantic element came so vividly to mind in um, uh, correspondence that I had with my now dead and beloved best childhood friend, Lloyd Fonville. And just a few days before he died, he had written some things about this question and I talked to him again about it. I said, what are you actually thinking about? the most? What is the, what is the key driving concern that you have at this point? And he said, only two things. He said, um, youthful lost love, lost love of youth and marriage. Now, I thought to myself, youthful lost love and marriage. And he began to tell me a story which he wrote about, and many of you know about it, in which a during his freshman year at Stanford, a... Um, a uh, beautiful young girl who was his contemporary in the freshman class, they were sitting at kind of a party and they were sitting in a window seat and she just suddenly leaned over in the middle of the party and gave him a passionate kiss. And uh, he, he was—he didn't really know what to do and he didn't really follow through on it, nor did she, but it was a passionate kiss. And he was utterly and completely 
um, taken with this moment. Uh, and the poor girl died just a few years later in an automobile accident. And he has uh, never uh, forgotten the impact of that one solo moment, which almost overshadowed all sorts of other much longer term things. And he was fascinated by that. I had an instance of this the other day. Uh, um, uh, um, I had a girlfriend who I've never spoken about here and doesn't need to be. Not a, it wasn't a serious situation. It just happened. It was a, I did have one particular sort of um, quiet, not so quiet relationship with a, 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 a girl when I was in prep school and she was in a, a, a girl's school not so far from where I was a student. And I met her at a spelling bee between our respective schools. And love would be too strong a word, but we definitely, I was only, a, I think I was in um, form five, so I was in 11th grade, and it was a, we, there was something going. There was a little bit of electricity. She was a wonderful person. It didn't work out in the long run, um, but we went to dances and knew each other well. And then later on, when I went to Harvard, uh, she happened to be going to college in the area, and we knew each other a bit and continued to see each other for a time. And um, uh, But it wasn't something that has loomed in my great consciousness. But then the other uh, day, I did, you know how you do, you, I looked up on the internet, this person, and there was a picture of her from her college yearbook. Actually, I think it was from her school yearbook, her, the independent school she attended, and it was a picture, and it was exactly as I remembered her. Uh, and I couldn't, I had not seen a, 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 an image, a picture of this person for 50 years. And I was utterly uh, entranced. It was like, it was like that. Remember Donnie Darko? There's a movie from like 2000 or something in which a, um, an experience happens. And, and uh, it's like he goes back to something that happened long ago, the teenager even. And he goes through, it's like a, it's like one of those uh, long, uh, yo, <laughs> kind of push me, pull you um, uh, things you buy for children where they, they like going through hoops that are covered over like a tent. It's like they're living in a long kind of hoop that's extended. There's a word for it. And uh, he goes through it and and there he is in the past. Well, I saw this picture of this lovely person. She was a terrific person, a really fine and lovely human being. I've not seen her since. But um, and uh, uh, just delightful, sweet human being. And uh, It was as if it was right there. Now, the message I want to give you that is the positive part of the Prince of Darkness analogy is that you will find this out. You will find out that Charles Foster Kane and Orson Welles were not telling a lie. And Paul is not telling a lie, not because I have any vested interest in making you think what I think. This is not ideological. It is a rather upsetting reality that you get to a certain point where you find yourself absolutely arrested by youthful love. Thank God if you have, if you're married to someone, if you are married, in which you have had that experience. This is why internet dating, as I always say, is a colossal error. I know, I know, I know why people need to do it and why we should do it and all the reasons of, I can list them just with you and I'm very, I'm really with you and why you think you should do it. But it never works or almost never ultimately works simply because of one thing. You met the person too late. Um, you, 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 there was too much water under the bridge. It's very hard to really connect with someone who you didn't collect, connect with, at least in some way, when you were most impressionable, when you were Lloyd's age and the girl kissed you in the windowsill. Uh, something about the aging process fixates you on those moments of profound, youthful openness, spontaneity, and blossom-like um, effervescence and uh, indelibility of memory. You are like an open book, and when the lightning writes upon the page, you know, the, the hand of Allah writes upon the page, it is uh, not to be erased. And those are divisive, definitive. Thank God I had this with Mary. I knew her when I was, golly, I, 
I feel sure I met her when I was 18, um, uh, for the first time, or early, early 19. 19! Remember that song by Paul Hardcastle? I was only 19, but thank God, you know, uh, we go back. Donnie Darko, and this is really important. And if you don't have that, you'll find yourself going back to, to disappointments, because this is the determining thing. Now, what brought me into mind of this this is the five o'clock world. Your five o'clock world is actually the world of where you came alive romantically because that's where it happens. God has designed us so that in the male-female um, petri dish of the, the electricity, you, you drop a firecracker in a, a little can of oil, that's where, it, that's where it happens. That's where life really happens. And that's why, so interestingly enough, it's almost as if you shut down your real uh, electric, spontaneous, extemporaneous human aspiring uh, to God, going to God, coming from God, looking for love, looking for love to call my own. Jay Giles, you know, they, he lives in Madison, Connecticut, or is it Brantford? I keep forgetting. <clears throat> I think it's Brantford. Anyway, um, or maybe Guilford. But the point is, I want to meet him. Um, that's the key. And then you, the sort of the prison house, you know, the shades of the prison house, uh, who, whoever I was talking about the other day, the poet that actually said that, close, and you live from age 21 or 22 or 25 to age 60, and it's, that's the 9 to 5 world. And when you get to be about my age, for what it's worth, you suddenly realize that 40 years of your life doesn't matter at all, you know, because you don't think about it. It's not because it doesn't matter. Of course, it matters in somebody's uh, weighing up. There's some sense of accountancy in it, but doesn't matter at all. Emotionally, you suddenly realize that you've lived 40 years uh, as a were and nothing matters. And, and you find yourself like in Donnie Darko, you're in uh, your 65th year and and suddenly you're in your 16th year. And the rest is a dream. It's a complete unreality. It's fleeting and unimportant. I became interested in this partly because of the stories of Rudyard Kipling. I'm in another Kipling phase. I've, I've been through Kipling phases before. But right now, because Kipling had a tremendous understanding of the power of romantic love in older people and the power of romantic longing in older people, he wrote many stories about it, not just a few. He must have himself, he was happily married, I believe. I don't know. That's a contested fact, as it always is in biographers, because they draw their own, they see it through their own sieve. But um, he was married to Caroline Ballastier, but the uh, for many years. Uh, but whatever it was, he understood almost like an alien from another planet. I mean, the man was positively a magus. I mean, he absolutely was inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to understand things. And he wrote many stories about much older people who were, as it were, unhinged, by the power of early romantic memories. Unhinged. I mean, I'll give you a, a list. Uh, Love of Women, one of his greatest stories, simply called Love hyphen a of women. Um, Mrs. Bathurst, the most famous story of a man who's completely unhinged by uh, 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 this theme, uh, a man in middle years. Um, the Wish House, is about a woman who is completely fixated on something that happened, an attachment developed in her 16th year, uh, not to her husband, I might add, as it turned out. Um, Day Spring Mishandled, a very complicated, complicated Kipling story about how things, when they go wrong at the beginning, never can be re re repaired. When things go wrong romantically at the beginning, they, all, they really cannot be repaired. They can only be accepted, and most people don't accept them. 
Um, golly, uh, a Madonna of the Trenches is his deepest story, probably, in my opinion. And Mary feels the same way. A Madonna of the Trenches about a man who carries a torch for someone, uh, with someone for 40 years or 35 years, and, and no one ever knows. And then it's played out in uh, the middle of, uh, of the front and the psalm in World War One in the most extraordinary way. <laughs> And they keep saying, but he's 50 years old. They keep saying about the sergeant, who's a wonderful man, but he's 50 years old. Um, I could give you many other uh, examples of this, but I simply want to say this is my message to you. My message to you that the the uh, focus existentially, and you'll be really surprised at the power of this, will be on early um, early romantic experiences. Um, God help you if you've had none and then there's a whole other area of acceptance and forgiveness and mercy that is to be called upon with great hope and confidence and and yet also poignancy and then there is the uh, the um uh, the, the the power of this to, uh, to to be accepted, to be understood, to be uh, recollected, and to finally become an intimation of immortality. And let me finish my last point. I want to uh, say something that uh, kind of an affer uh, uh, maxim that I've developed in recent weeks. And the maxim is this: religion is the true metaphor of which romantic love is the reality. Now, you, you, you may at first stumble on that. Religion is the true metaphor of which romantic love, for most people, is the reality, or even more specifically, romantic love is the reality behind and of religion. I always used to think that the purpose of a sermon illustration and the purpose of looking at romantic love, because I always said in my ministry that if you want to understand about the grace of God, look at your experiences of romantic love, not just love of fathers and mothers and uh, mothers and sons and fathers and daughters and, and brothers and sisters. Those are all wonderful. And friends, look at romantic love because that's core. That's evolutionarily, that's inherent to us at the deepest possible, you know, right where our groin, you know, in the center. Anyway, that's crucial. Um, I always said, well, romantic love is the analogy of religion. I now would put it differently. I would say religion is the true historic analogy of what people describe discover through romantic love. In other words, if you want to understand about the grace of God in Jesus Christ, which actually happened and is a real authoritative fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all should believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life and not be condemned but that the world might be saved from him. That is true, but if you want to see it active in core experiences now, your best bet is to look at your experience of romantic love, for better or for worse, and usually for better. Look at the times when it was really hot, in the best sense of that word, hot and on fire and powerful and vitalistic and everything. He's my everything. Look at that, and you will understand the nature of religion. So therefore, the Christian faith, the story of Christ Jesus, which is a historical fact, in my opinion, death, the the creed, I believe, that becomes the most powerful and universal analogy of something that everyone can discover, but they discover it best when they look at their experience of romantic love. Imputation, justification, forgiveness, mercy, support, um, absolute 
um, remission of sins, all this happens in connection with someone that you love in the romantic sense, because that's where the core of you is involved. So once again, religion, Christianity, the gospel is the true uh, analogy, allegory, and metaphor, the universal allegory, analogy, of metaphor, uh, for which romantic love is the existential um, litmus ground of a truth in your own life, the truth that verifies the more abstract truths of historical religion. I want to stay with that and ask you to think about that, and that's all I really have to say. We're going to close now with... Um, just Like Romeo and Juliet, 1964, by The Reflections, which I think is one of the great songs. I worked very hard on getting the right copy of this. This cuts it short by three seconds at the beginning. Forgive me for that. But uh, the uh, this is the only stereo version I could find, and I hope you can play it loud because it's an old song from 64. It made a huge impression on me in 1964, and I don't think it's ever been bettered. Listen to the whole song. It is pure magic, and it is the very essence of religion um, uh, while um, being um, a little bit... Uh, uh, elliptical. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this and um, uh, God bless you. Finding a job tomorrow morning Got a little something I want to do Gonna buy something I could ride in I'll take my girl Smack!